0: And you know, baptism is a great moment in the life of a Christian. It's where they get to publicly state their belief and to actually share what God has done in their life. And for some people, some people might might actually say that baptism is the high point, the pinnacle. Some people might say that baptism feels like the high watermark of their of their walk with God, where actually the relationship with God feels like it's at its high point, at its best. It's a moment of intense joy and celebration. And actually, for some people might say that the rest of their Christian walk feels a little bit downhill from there. And I think that's a tremendous shame. I don't think that's how it's meant to be. I think that's a misunderstanding of what baptism is and what it represents and what God intends for our lives after baptism. So we're going to today continue our, our journey through the book of Acts and, and speak into that a little bit. We've, been, we've broken Acts into three chunks, three acts, if you will. And this, we're still in the first act which is the act of local beginnings, we're looking at the very earliest days of the church, the days in Jerusalem, where Jesus has just ascended, he sent his Holy Spirit, and the believers are just figuring out what on earth to do with everything they've seen and heard and experienced of Jesus. And this series, we've entitled it deliberately, What Comes Next? And I think that's a great question to ask, especially when we hit life-changing moments like the one that Lizzie's going to have today of, of baptism. What comes next? Before we get to the text, I want to tell you a story. It's about a guy in a place called Edmore in Michigan uh, in the US. And this guy in 1988, he bought a farm. And when he bought it, the man who sold it to him, handed over to him uh, just a big lump of rock. He said, listen, when I bought this farm, the guy who had the farm before me gave me this piece of rock. And he told me that he'd actually seen it fall from the sky. He said it was a meteorite. Uh, And him and his son had dug it out of the ground while it was still warm. We've kept it ever since. And whoever owns the farm just keeps it. It's just what we do. And so this guy in 1988 buys the farm, gets given this lump of rock. And, you know, this is a pretty lucky thing. This is a pretty special thing. This came down in 1939. It's a piece of meteorite. And the guy just thought, well, that's that's a nice story. Um, I don't really know what to do with it. And what he did is he put it on the floor of his farm and he used it to prop open a large barn door. That's all he used it for. And there it remained for 30 years until 2018 when something prompted this guy to think, you know, maybe I should get this... If if this really is a meteorite, maybe I ought to get this checked out. Maybe I should just ask an expert if it's of any value. And so he sent it off to a professor at the local university, the University of Central Michigan, And this was her reaction. This was the professor's reaction. This is a a quote from her. She says, I knew this rock was something special as soon as I saw it. It is the most valuable specimen I have ever held in my life, monetarily and scientifically. This piece of rock is believed to be 4.5 billion years old. And it's actually comparable in its structure to the makeup of the Earth's core, which makes it tremendously valuable to scientists because it's hard to get to the Earth's core to actually study what's in there. And so this doorstop, this piece of rock that was just used to hold a barn door open, is now known as the Edmore meteorite. And it's worth at least $100,000 in cash to a museum or a collector, but even more if you're a scientist uh, who wants to research into these things. And for 80 years, it had just sat on this farm in Michigan and it's just been passed obliviously from owner to owner without anyone really recognising what it might be worth. Today in our act series, we'll come back to that story later, but I wanna, we're going to look at a story of a couple of men who experienced a life-changing moment, life-changing moments of great value. And We're going to look at how they react. I'm going to see what we can learn about how we react to life-changing moments in our lives. So if you've got your Bible with you, turn it on or open it. Uh, whatever whatever type of bab you've got with you, or you can have a look on the screen, we've got the scripture there as well. We're in the book of Acts, we're in Acts chapter three, and we're just going to read verses one to 10. I'm not going to try and cover the whole chapter today. I hope Barry will pick up the rest of the chapter in our life group notes if he's able to write them this week. So you will get the rest of the scripture in the week, but we're going to focus particularly on verses one to 10 today. I'll start reading. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful. And where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. And Peter looked straight at him, as did John. And then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. And then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth walk and taking him by the right hand he helped him up and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong he jumped up to his feet and began to walk And then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. And when all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognised him as this same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Let me just pray. Lord God, thank you for this this story, Lord, this, this truth Lord, of something that actually happened, Lord, in the early church, that this man born lame, who never walked in a day in his life, who was suddenly healed by your spirit. I pray this morning you will bless us with this truth. Lord, you'll teach us from it. Lord, you'll help us to, to experience change through you, Lord, to take next steps in you as we as we hear and encounter you this morning. I pray you just bless us as we as we open your word together. Amen. Okay. So as we come to this story. Peter and John have just experienced their life-changing moment. One of several life-changing moments, let's face it, for those who are, who are disciples of Jesus. Peter, remember, was the lead disciple of the 12 apostles, the 12 disciples that Jesus chose to live life with him for the three years of life when he was doing just amazing things in and around Jerusalem. They were taken on this adventure in which Jesus shook the world. And this particular incident takes place just after Pentecost. We had Phil Moore with us last week preaching on Pentecost. This moment when the Holy Spirit comes to the disciples. There's 120 followers left of Jesus after he's lived and died and risen again. And then he's ascended, but he's ascended leaving them with the words. He tells them, go make disciples of all nations uh, and baptise them in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. And he says to them, I'm going to send my Holy Spirit. I'm going to send this person, I'm going to send this person to live in you, to dwell in you, to be with you, to give you power. He says there will be power when the Holy Spirit comes. And so this moment has just happened, Pentecost has just happened. They were in this room, they were praying, they're praising God, and the Holy Spirit comes in fire and tongues and strange languages. And this is a life-changing, powerful moment, which required a response. Because up until Pentecost, the disciples had been scared and confused and afraid. They'd had the joy of living every single day with Jesus for three years. And then the despair of seeing him publicly executed. And they were afraid. They ran for their lives. They hid away. And they wondered if they were the next ones to be crucified. But then, the resurrection of Jesus. He comes back to life. He appears to them in various moments, alive and well scarred but alive and this gives them joy and hope but then again this nervous waiting as Jesus goes up to heaven and he leaves them with that instruction just wait wait I'm going to send the Holy Spirit wait in Jerusalem and then Pentecost the fulfillment of the promise to send the Spirit so what comes next what well, we see here we see that Peter and John are changed men weeks earlier they were frightened cowards he chose to, Peter chose to lie and deny his friendship with Jesus rather than face ridicule or even arrest. And now we see in this story, he's filled with the power and presence of Jesus. He confidently walks into the temple at the busiest time of day when people are turning up to pray. The Jews are going for their holy moment with God. And he goes into that setting and performs a dramatic healing which echoed those done by even Jesus himself. The temple's busy and this lame man has been positioned to get maximum exposure. Where the busy, wealthy, holy worshippers are passing by. And as Peter and John pass, like he does with everyone who goes past him, he asks them for money. And weeks earlier, Peter would probably have just ignored this man. At best, he might have thrown a couple of coppers at him. But now, filled with the Spirit, listening to God, suddenly having this power within him, he recognises this authority that he has, Jesus has said, I will give you power. And he sees this opportunity for God to work mightily through him. And so he stops and he turns to the man, he addresses him and he explains, look, I've got no money to give you, but what I do have, I offer you the power of God. No tricks, no dramatic movements, no formulas, no healing uh, recipes, he just simply tells the guy to walk and he pulls him up. And as he does, his legs become strong and he's healed. Praise God. Now, straight after this healing, we don't have time to go into this morning, but what Peter does next, he goes into the temple and just preaches. He preaches and declares the gospel afresh to the Jews, to the people who've gone for prayer in the temple. And he bravely stands in the center of the Jewish faith and just tells people look what's just happened. Look what's just happened. And he's standing there telling them that you guys, you guys who had Jesus crucified, you were wrong. You made a massive mistake. Because he's not dead. He's risen and he's given us his power. And now we're here and we're doing what he did on the earth. I mean, that is a huge risk, isn't it? Your mate, your best mate, has just been executed for saying radical things, which the authority is considered to be criminal and blasphemous. And you'd probably be laying low for a while. And the last thing you'd probably do is go to the headquarters of the people who just killed your friend and tell them that they were wrong and then basically repeat all the claims that your friend just made and got killed for and insist that they are the truth. That'd be pretty risky. And it'd be even riskier to claim that this best friend of yours that just, they, they just killed is now alive and well. And yet here he is, standing in the temple, Telling the Jews of their need to repent and admit their wrongdoing and telling them that they need to realise and declare that this Jesus who they hated is no less than their Lord and Saviour. Peter's received an incredible gift, the power and presence of the Holy Spirit and he does not waste it. What comes next for Peter is he doesn't quietly return home and think with a warm fuzzy feeling of the fond days he spent with Jesus. He doesn't just enjoy this gift of the Holy Spirit for himself and have nice quiet times and fun worship on his own, sitting in his home as his experience God's love and saying, well, oh, thank you, Lord, that was great. No. He recognises that Pentecost, this special moment in his life, is not an ending, it's a beginning. He has work to do now. He now knows he needs to live a life that demonstrates what God has done in him. It's time to act. That's why it's called the acts of the apostles. They act. They don't just sit there. And Peter, Petra from the Greek, the literally the word for rock. This rock isn't going to sit and prop a door open for 30 years. This rock is going to go out and reveal the secrets of God to a world which is unknowingly desperate to hear them. What came next for Peter was obedience and doing amazing things for God in the power of the Spirit. That was his reaction. What about the beggar, this lame man? What was his reaction to what happened in his life. He's the second person in the story who we see radically change. Well, firstly, what a shockingly sad existence this guy's been living. Because We learn in the story that he's born lame. We learn in the next chapter he's over 40 years old. So for 40 years, this guy's lived and breathed and not been able to use his legs. He's never walked himself. He's had to be carried everywhere. The scripture says he was literally put by the temple to bed. Just, just like an inanimate object he was put there like a lump of old rock and no doubt the people carrying him around probably charged him for the pleasure the money he was probably given as he begged was no doubt split between him and his handlers, his owners this guy has no self-esteem no value no worth in society his only use is to sit and collect sympathy money loose change from people who are either too powerless or too careless to do anything else for him. It's profoundly sad. And we see as Peter and John pass, he struggles to even look at them in the eye as he asks them for money. He's aware that they're there and he asks them, but the shame this man must have felt must have been huge. And yet when Peter and John stop, Peter says to this guy, look at us. Look at us. Now that might not seem like a big deal, but just imagine sitting in that same place for 40 years And having people after people after people just walking past him, ignoring him, not even giving him the time of day. By stopping and engaging, Peter and John instantly give this man more value and worth than many others had ever done before. They notice him and actually talk to him rather than ignore him. And they see something that others don't. They don't see a useless, lame beggar. They see a child of God in profound need. And so Peter tells him, look, I don't have money, but I can give you something more. He pulls him up and something feels different. Legs that have never worked are somehow changing right underneath him. Bones are straightening, muscles are untwisting, strength flows to this guy's legs. And in an instant, this man is receiving worth and value in that society. He goes from being dependent and... And good for nothing to being upwardly mobile and dependent in the eyes of society, independent in the eyes of society. This is an amazing life-changing moment for this man. He's experiencing the ability to move for himself for the first time in his life. And so what does he do? What comes next? Well, he sits back down again and carries on begging. No, he doesn't, I'm only joking. He goes walking, leaping, jumping praising God. He legs it straight into that temple. He finds thousands of people who've just walked past him every single day and written him off as a nobody. And he shows them, look at me. I can walk, I can run, I can jump. My life is changed. I want you all to know it. Everyone. And this display, this faithful response to healing is what gives Peter the platform then to declare the truth of God to the people in that temple. And I don't doubt for a second that there'll be many, many more moments in the life of this man where he would bump into people who'd recognised him and said, look at what's happened. Look what the Lord Jesus has done in my life. You need to do something about this. This guy went from being like this useless lump of rock to being this precious meteorite which could reveal the secrets of God. From a dependent cripple to a leaping, praising evangelist. The truth is actually, just like the meteor, this guy always had a value in God's eyes. Society rendered him useless. But God always loved this guy. God always saw a meteorite when others saw a lump of rock. But the power of the Spirit, the power of God in his life, made this guy and others around him see something more. But it took someone with the ability and the power and the authority to reveal his true worth to the world. Peter saw this man through God's eyes. He knew that God had something more for him than sitting and begging. And just like that university professor saw that lump of meteor, and knew there was more to it than a doorstop. So what comes next? Lizzie, you're being baptised today and you're making a public statement that God has done something remarkable in your life. And you're responding to the fact that through Jesus, your sins have been forgiven, that you've been given a new life, a new start. And one that will lead to a glorious eternity with God. Once in your sin, you were hopeless and helpless, like all of us, stuck in our lives with nowhere to go, destined to be separated from God from all eternity because of our rebellion. But upon hearing the good news of the gospel that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came to earth because his Father sent him, because he loved the world so much. He gave his only son and then he lived a perfect life and then was crucified for our sins and the sins of mankind. Because you responded to that news, that he did that for you and you put your trust in him because we've done that, we get to live a new life. We get to live a new risen life. Lizzie, today you're obediently responding to that command that Jesus gave. He said, Go and make disciples and baptise them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. You've become a disciple, you're being baptised today. And just like Jesus at his own baptism, you'll be plunged under water, signifying the death and burial of your old sinful life, and then you'll be raised, cleansed, renewed, and ready to start the new life in God. So the question I have for you, Lizzie, this morning, and for all of us, as we experience big moments in our Christian lives, is what comes next? whenever we have these key moments of change and revelation with God, you know, I don't think he speaks into our lives to leave us unchanged. Baptism is not the end of the journey. It is the beginning. Now starts the real journey, a journey that we're all on as Christians. What does God want you to do in this new life? How will you use it to honour and serve him? How will you reveal him to others? Some of us, like Peter and John, will never have silver or gold to give. Some of us will be blessed with silver and gold. Maybe that is the way we can bless people. But all of us have something of God to share. What does God want you to do with what He's given you? Peter and John felt the Spirit and acted obediently by stepping out in healing with this guy. What might God want you to do this week? How might the Spirit prompt you? How would you react? I believe we're called as Christians, filled with the Spirit, to. We act just like Peter and John in this story to step out and be obedient to what God's uh, prompted him to do. We're to let the presence and the power of God pour out of our lives and into the lives of those around us. We're to spot need and to pray for the presence of God to bring change. And like our friend and our beggar, when we experience moments of change, we're to flip and let people know about it. We don't sit there and just enjoy it for ourselves. We go and tell the world, look what God has done for me. Look at the change that he's brought in my life. And we're to feel confident in sharing our faith and letting people know their need for God. So wherever you are in your life this morning, whether you're freshly baptised or about to be baptised, or you're much further on in in your walk with God, you're still not at the pinnacle of your life with God. You're still just barely in the foothills to keep going on being filled with the spirit and doing amazing things as god asks us the question what comes next needs to be in our hearts and our minds all the time lord you fill me with your spirit i have now the power and authority to do amazing things so lord what next use me use us i pray